In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That portion of God's word that we shall read and consider this evening, the Holy Ghost has caused to be recorded in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 8, where we read as follows in Jesus' name. Comfort, yes, comfort, my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The voice said, cry out. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. These are your words, Holy Father. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. Amen. Lord Jesus, I lay in fetters groaning, you came to set me free. I stood my shame bemoaning, you came to honor me. A glorious crown you give me, a treasure safe on high that will not fail or leave me as earthly riches fly. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The central religious issue of the ages is how sinners receive from God forgiveness of their sins. Until we know how we receive the forgiveness of sins, and until we know with complete certainty that we have received forgiveness of our sins, we cannot know God. If God has not forgiven you all your sins, he is your enemy. And a more fearful enemy you cannot imagine. If on the other hand, God has forgiven you all your sins, he is your friend. Not just a fair weather friend, but an almighty friend who will see you through every imaginable trouble of life. So we turn to the wonderful words of comfort that God spoke through his prophet Isaiah, and we learn how God comes to us and how we meet him. From these words, we see four things about how God comes to us in Christ, what the advent of Christ is all about. First, God comes to us in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Second, the gospel 
can be received only in repentance. Third, the gospel stands when all human glory and beauty are gone. And fourth, it is by the gospel that Christ, the good shepherd, cares for his sheep. God comes to us in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. We cannot think that we know this truth so well that we don't need to hear it again and again and be reminded of it daily because there is nothing in life as important. God comes to us in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. If you want to know God, have God as your God, remain in him and he in you. If you want to enjoy what folks like to call a personal relationship with God, you must know that God comes to you in the forgiveness of sins that these words from Isaiah apply to you. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. It was not Jerusalem who paid for her sins, and it is not you who pays for your sins. It is the servant of the Lord, the suffering servant whom Isaiah describes in chapter 53 of this book of prophecy. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement to bring us peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now that's how all sins have been paid for. And that's how we can and do receive from the Lord double for all our sins. That is more than enough forgiveness to cover all our sins. If you have any doubt that your sins are forgiven by God, then you must also doubt that God has come to you in love. There's no comfort. There's no tender words. There can only be God's consuming and terrifying anger unless Jesus has done what Isaiah said he would do and unless God, because of what Jesus has done, has forgiven you all your sins. God comes to us in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins and there's no other way we sinners could meet him. Secondly, the gospel can be received only in repentance. Repentance is necessary. John the Baptist preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. But repentance is often misunderstood. It's not as if repentance is our contribution toward forgiveness. It's not the catalyst that activates God's forgiveness. 
Repentance isn't what makes God's heart favorable toward us. Our repentance is not what put Jesus on the cross where he bore our sins and blotted them out by his blood. Our repentance did not prompt God to take our sin away. But repentance is necessary if we are to receive the forgiveness of sins. It's one thing to hear that your sins are forgiven. It is another to believe it. Faith is how you receive the forgiveness of sins that the word of the gospel gives to you. And there is confusion on this issue today. On the one hand, people think that by repenting of their sins, they have somehow won over God's heart and have gotten him to be gracious by the sincerity of their repentance. Now, that's just plain false. It's a denial of Christ who alone has won God's forgiveness and grace for us. But then on the other hand, there are those who claim to believe in the forgiveness of sins while refusing to repent of their sins. Now, to repent means to be sorry for our sins and to believe the gospel that tells us our sins are forgiven for Christ's sake. Is it possible to believe in the forgiveness of one's sins without being sorry for them? What kind of foolishness is that? The issue isn't how sorry we are because we could never be sorry enough. And the issue isn't whether we succeed in avoiding sin altogether because we're not going to avoid all sin together until we're in heaven. The issue is this. Can faith live in the same heart as unrepentant sin? Can we choose a life of sin without remorse, without regret, without sorrow, without any desire to avoid that sin and then talk about having faith in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. Well, there's a word for that. That's called hypocrisy. Sin is often described in some kind of a generic universal fashion that doesn't really have any reality to it. Yes, I'm a sinner because everybody's a sinner. It's some general abstract notion. But no, sin is always very specific. It's a specific disobedience to God's law, which is specifically set forth in the Ten Commandments, which tell you how you are to think and feel and behave. So you have sins where you have abused the word of God, where you have not submitted to his authority, where you have hated and lusted and been covetous and greedy. Specific sins, repentance says, God's law is right to condemn me for it. And I ask God to forgive me and to take away from me the desire to sin. Forgiveness is received by in repentance because it's only in sorrow over sin that faith can be born. And just as repentance is that great leveler compared to by the prophet, to a flat, straight highway in the hilly desert. The forgiveness of sins is the great equalizer. In repentance, we all prostrate ourselves before 
the coming of the God of glory, admitting to him we don't deserve his favor. And then in forgiveness, that same God of glory elevates all of us. And his gospel gives us new life, new hope, new desires, the gospel that found us in our shame and our sorrow and our lost condition, this gospel that brought us out of sorrow into the joy of knowing our sins are forgiven, this gospel will stand forever. Which brings us to our third point, the gospel stands when all human glory and beauty are gone. Everything else will fade like the grass that is lushly green until the hot wind turns it a crusty gray, like the flower that's so alive and beautiful and sweet smelling, and then it dries up and falls off and disappears. Every human achievement, every accomplishment of the flesh will at the end be for naught. And yet, having confidence in the flesh competes in our hearts with the true faith in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins. In fact, this battle of loyalties, whether we're going to trust in our flesh or in the gospel of the forgiveness of sins, this is the struggle of our life. And we're constantly being called by God to find our only glory in the gospel of the forgiveness of our sins, not in anything we've done. Our only honor in the crucifixion of Jesus for us. But you know what? What we will see, and I'm sure we've already seen it, is that those who praise human commitment, human dedication, virtue, and good works, and elevate it up above anything Christ has done, will do this in the name of Christ, in the name of Christianity, and they're the ones who are going to get all the praise and glory here and now. Whereas those who live under the cross, who desire the gospel of the forgiveness of sins more than the praise for any spiritual achievement they've made, these are the despised of every generation. And they need to remember that God did not come to us in our great achievements, but he comes to us in the gospel. And that gospel isn't received as we celebrate how good we are and how much we've done, but it's received in humble repentance. That gospel, that word of our God, will stand forever after every monument to human pride has been turned to dust. And finally, this gospel of the forgiveness of sins is how Christ the Good Shepherd cares for and feeds his church. The prophet paints a beautiful picture in the closing words of this reading from Isaiah. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This beautiful picture describes the care for souls 
that Christ provides for his church today through the preaching and teaching of his gospel. This is the gospel in which God comes to us, the gospel that is received in repentance, the gospel that will stand until the end of time when all human glory has passed away. The gospel and sacraments of Christ remain throughout all generations. The only way that God comes to us and reveals his glory. The gospel remains our joy when we in sorrow repent of our sin. It remains our glory when we see the fading and vain glory of all mankind. And it remains the food that the good shepherd feeds his flock. So we pray that the preachers will keep preaching it, that the hearers will keep believing it, so that here, in this place, Christ's holy church will remain. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.